Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I am Christian Sager. Hey, Robert, I want you to hit me as hard as you can. All right, here it goes. You hit me in the ear. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, no, that was perfect. Are you okay? Uh, uh, hit me again. No, maybe later, man. We've got an episode to record. So, as you may guess from our little uh, little Fight Club uh, homage there, this episode is about the evolution of punching, in particular fists and human beings and how we evolved and the theory that our hands specifically evolved uh, so that we could fight each other. Yeah, uh, in particular, this is the uh, the theory that's been put forth by uh, biologist David Carrier uh, from the University of Utah, and he's done a number of different uh, studies and uh, published a number of different papers um, uh, supporting this theory. Yeah. And whether you agree with it or not, he makes some. He just makes a wonderful case for it. He's committed to this theory. Yeah, I want to uh, say he has like what five academic papers published. All, about different parts of the body, but all around this theory. Yes, the most recent of which just came out in the last uh, couple of months. Uh-huh. And in fact, we uh, have done uh, How Stuff Works video about it that you wrote and starred in, and there's a little like uh, article accompanying it, yeah? Well, I think the real stars of that video uh, were, were, were the cadaver were arms. The cadaver arms. <laughs> but we'll get to that. So yeah, so yeah if, you want, if you want something a little, uh, little creepy fun, this will deliver. But for the most part, yeah, we're talking about basic human evolution here, the evolution of the human form. And really the human function as well, the humanity's uh, shadow self. Yeah. Well, before we get into the meat of the episode, I just want to remind our listeners that we have a couple things going on with social media right now. Uh, we've just started periscoping, and we're doing that every Friday at noon. Uh, we did our first one last week, and it went really well. So uh, we're going to try it again. We're going to try to keep going with it, uh, and we'd love to see you there. So if you have time, you have periscope on your phone or your computer or whatever, uh, check it out and uh, uh, talk to us. Uh, yeah, we'll have uh, links about it on Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr as well. Uh, and we'll, so we'll be reminding you right before it happens. Yeah, absolutely. And we're blow the mind on all of those social media platforms. One other thing, too, we were thinking, we've heard that uh, apparently it helps your iTunes rankings if you get uh, reviews, I, I'm assuming positive reviews, from your listeners. Uh, and we checked, and there haven't been that many reviews in a while, especially since uh, Joe and I joined the show. So we were hoping that if you could, please go in and, uh, you know, if you have time, uh, provide a review for us over in iTunes. And, and I just found out yesterday, too, did you know uh, we're available on Google Play now as well? Yes. Apparently they have a podcast streaming service as well. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. So, yeah, help mm-hmm. out the algorithm. Drop by iTunes if you're an iTunes listener. Give us a positive review. Uh, it helps us out because some of those reviews are old, like back, years and years back to when the, the podcast was still in diapers. So. Right. All right, so let's get into it. Fists, punching, fight club. Yes. So um, if you've ever seen uh, Stanley Kubrick's 1968 sci-fi classic, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and I hope you have because it's it's really the stuff to blow your mind movie in many respects. <laughs> um, it, it paints a wonderful picture of, of humanity's violent evolutionary ascension, right? This wonderful uh, dawn of man segment in which these uh, early hominids, some of the, the best men in monkey suits ever, or yeah. men in ape suits if you rather, just sort of 
mucking about and then eventually dis- dis- discovering a fabulous technology, the technology to pick up a tool, specifically I think like a taper uh, like jawbone, a bone, yeah. and just start yeah. wailing on animals and each other. Yeah. There's this band that I like called Oxes, and uh, they performed at South by Southwest one year, and they just did that entire scene uh, verbatim at the end of their show. Nice. <laughs> like, like I think they played the music that mm-hmm. was going on in it, and then like they acted out. Oh, all they acted the stuff out. With okay, the bones I thought you meant they just showed it, which would have no, been no, fabulous no, no. The members stuff. of the band acted it out. They, oh. Yeah, it was pretty amusing. Uh, but yes, so this brings us to uh, the the real like I think academic heart of this episode is a guy named David Carrier, mm-hmm. and he is. Uh, if you, if, by the way, if you Google David Carrier, it turns out that there's a bunch of other guys with that name who get higher rankings on <laughs> Google than him. Mm-hmm. So you you might want to uh, add like evolutionary or uh, a biologist or something yeah, like that or to fist, the search. Or slap. Fist would work. Yeah, he's at the University of Utah, uh, and he has published multiple papers, like we said, and really just has this overall theory that. Uh, humanity, especially male humans, have physically evolved over time uh, to be fighting machines, basically, and that that is something that's inherent in us. And I think what he's getting at overall is that we now live in a society where there aren't that many reasons for our, uh, melee combat. Right. Uh, uh, actually, the episode that we're <laughs> going to record after this one is about another form of combat. But uh, in terms of fist fighting, there aren't that many reasons, right? Not like they're they're used used to be back in the good days back back when we used to and I you know jokingly I think that this is kind of the, the philosophical heart of fight club as well right the the idea that that like we're made to be hunter gatherer uh, physical fighting machines and yeah our and, primordial fisticuff roots yeah and and modern society doesn't allow us to do that so where do we how do we you know burn off that inherent I don't know uh, evolutionary aesthetic yeah now it's it's important to note here that an carrier will be the first to to state this as well. Mm. Obviously, there are a number of different factors going on in human evolution and the ascent of man. Yeah. Um, you you have you know our our oversized brains, our our diet, um, some of the just environmental scenarios that enabled us to get to where we are now. Uh, and so his uh, you often encounter the idea. It comes down to our tool use, right? Uh, tool use, of course, is an important aspect of, of humanity, mm-hmm. humanity's ascent. Our ability to, to like that, uh, guy in a, in an ape costume in 2001 to pick up a tool and start using it, um, to, to overpower, uh, more, uh, sophisticated predators, to overpower each right. other. And, uh, certainly we have the manual dexterity to make tools, to wield tools, uh, tools. Uh, we have the brains that can allow us to update our body schema, uh, to incorporate this tool into our image of ourself and utilize it properly. But, uh, Carrier is ultimately making the case that, that the, the real violent aspect of, of humanity enters the picture, um, along with, if not earlier than our tool using hands. Like th- that when, when you look at the human hand, mm. yes, manual dexterity is a big part of, of the form, but also the ability to punch is key. Right. Right. Yeah. And so from the research that we looked at for this, most anthropologists up until Carrier's research have been saying just that, that the dexterity is the important part and it's so that we can pick up things and mm-hmm. maybe throw things, but especially to help us use those tools if, you know, made us the uh, powerful species that we are. Right. But one of the this is an important fact to throw out there too is that when you when it comes to punching, 
Mm. No matter what you've seen in Disney's The Jungle Book, <laughs> humans are the only creatures right. that can throw a punch. Yeah, I. you know what? I had never thought about that before until reading Carrier's research, and of course, mm-hmm. it makes sense. But not even uh, primates can do it. Right. We we alone, even among the primates, are the only ones who can curl that uh, that, that hand up into a, a fully buttressed fist and uh, you know sock it to them. So the idea is that in our current form, this evolved form, you can just look at your hand right now and, yeah. and try this out. The closed fist, the fully buttressed fist, with the uh, generally with the, the thumb on top, according mm-hmm. to the schematics we're looking at. Um, what, what's occurring here is that the closed fist protects the hand's delicate bones, the muscles, the ligaments during impact. So Carrier's theory says that we've we've evolved to be able to throw that punch. There's a there is an evolutionary advantage in being able to throw that punch in mm-hmm. such a way to where you can get maximum force without damaging those delicate uh, manual dexterity tools that, yeah. that are your hands. So that right there leads me to think that uh, this isn't like such a, a black and white issue within evolutionary biology and anthropology that it's either a fist or it's manual dexterity. I right. think it's both, right? right? I think ultimately that's the argument he's trying to make. Otherwise, he wouldn't be saying, well, the whole purpose of a buttressed fist is to protect the the hand from getting damaged so that it can subsequently later on go and use manual dexterity. Yeah, I mean, imagine kind of a, a prehistoric dating game with, right. uh, and in which you have the uh, the lovely young uh, woman and then the the three potential suitors. Mm-hmm. One one of them can throw a really hard punch, but he can only uh, do it every every so often because it shatters all the ha- all the fingers in his hands, right, and yeah. as such, his his hands are garbled a garbled mess. He can't build anything. He's not. He's not good for anything else around the right. camp. He just gets into like one fight every like two or three months and nails it, but then he's useless yeah. otherwise. And then on the other hand, you have uh, an individual who's, who's wonderful around the camp for manual dexterity, uh, but all he can do is kind of slap and paw. Right. But in the middle, the sweet spot is you have an individual who can, who can buttress that fist, yeah. who, can, who can punch hard, but at the end of the day can still do all the other things around uh, the camp uh, in the tribal community that that are important and essential to to passing on his genes. Right, yeah. And so one thing that I think is important to distinguish here, too, if I, I think I have this right, is that Carrier's fist, uh, if you're listening, like maybe uh, make a fist right now, to, to go, go along with me here, uh, is that your four uh, interior fingers are folded in mm-hmm. and your thumb is over your second and third third finger, right? Or, or, sorry, rather your third, your middle finger and your uh, uh, ring finger. Yes, that's how it's depicted in the study. Is the, is and the that's fully the best fist. way to, to get accomplish this. I've been fighting wrong my whole <laughs> life, I think, because I don't, I think I've been doing it the wrong way. I think my thumb, not that I get into fights that often, uh, but uh, the thumb over, I've been doing it with my thumb over my forefinger and my middle finger. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've only been pretend punching. Oh, really? Time, so, oh, you know. yeah. I try to, you know, go. I mean, <laughs> just go down to the parking lot and get a couple swings in every once a month or something, you know, <laughs> just to stay fresh. All right, let's get into the research here. Going back to 2007, uh, Carrier's paper dealing with the legs of our early ancestors. In particular, all his studies are really revolving around the Australopiths. Uh, and these are creatures in the uh, genus Australopithecus. 
immediate predecessors of the human genus Homo. Mm -hmm. They had heights around three feet, nine inches for females and four feet, six inches for males. And they lived uh, from four million to two million years ago. And there's a lot of information on this. And I I read basically the Encyclopedia Britannica entry last night about Mm -hmm. these guys. And, uh, there are, there's a lot about them. There's a lot of subspecies. But the basic gist that I found is that most of the fossils for this uh, species were found in Africa. Uh, they had small canine teeth, but they had large cheek teeth. So you can kind of imagine that sort of, I don't know, um, caveman kind of look, I think, right. would probably be appropriate. Uh, I didn't know this, but Lucy, that famous preserved fossilized skeleton, mm-hmm. was an Australopith. So that, that if you've pictured that before, you've seen that before, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, and uh, if the remains are older than six million years, they're actually considered to be fossilized apes. Uh, so that I think there's like a an age difference there. Uh, between the six million and the four million gap, but there's there's definitely some evolution between the two. And the last thing, and this is going to be important for when we're talking about carriers' research, is that they had these curved hands. If you can picture, kind of, I would imagine like apes do today, right? Uh, and really long toes and short thighs. And this is important because we're going to be talking about the legs in particular right now. So, okay, the assumption that most anthropologists have had about Australopiths up until now is that they had short legs because they probably lived like a treetop type culture. Their legs were used primarily for climbing and balancing. Carrier argues, though, that he thinks there's another reason. And this is kind of you're going to find that with most of Carrier's research that it, it, it works like this. There's a presumption within anthropology. He adds something on to it. And it's usually around fighting. In this case, it is. Uh, he says that the reason why they have short legs is that it's advantageous for them to be short because it gives them an edge in grappling, which is the kind of fighting they would probably do. Also, they have like a lower, more stable center of gravity. I'm thinking of, <laughs> I'm thinking of Wolverine, like in the comics, like he's supposed to be like short and stubby, right? And right. Like, that makes him a great Difficult fighter. Difficult to topple. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and this is specifically uh, in, a, in a paper that he wrote for Evolution, which is called The Short Legs of Great Apes, colon, Evidence for Aggressive Behavior in Australopithecines. And this came out in 2007. Well, one of the key papers uh, comes to us from 2012. This is where Carrier really rolled out the uh, the, the, the idea that, that the, the human fist has evolved to this form uh, because it is designed to punch uh, other humans yeah. in the face, other and and, and other uh, ancestors in the face, face. So again, it comes down to the idea that proportions of the human hand allow us to make a fist that protects all those delicate bones, muscles, and ligaments during a uh, you know a jaw shattering punch. And again, no other primates or any animal for that matter can throw a punch. And meanwhile, our earliest ancestors may have benefited from an, an evolutionary advantage in that they could punch hard without injuring uh, these five-fingered murder weapons. Mm. So thus you're winning mates, resources, tribal honor. Uh, and uh, in, in this particular study, Carrier also uh, proved out just the impact value of the punch, showing that the punch is actually always better than a slap or a chop. Right. Because, and, and it all comes down to the peak strike force. The peak strike force is always the same no matter what manner of hand blow you're using. Okay. okay. Be it a slap, a chop, uh, uh, a, a, a three stooges finger poke. Sure. You know, whatever, yeah. whatever you're, you're throwing, the peak for- strike force is always the same. But the fist delivers all of this force to a smaller area. 
So, according to Kier, the force per area is up to three times greater with a punch versus a good old slap. Hmm. Okay. And one of the interesting things about this this first study that he did on uh, fists that I guess I didn't know, even though like I've studied anatomy for drawing purposes, especially like mm-hmm. hand drawing. But uh, male index fingers are are always shorter than our ring fingers, uh, and that's part of being – he argues that that's part of being able to form this ideal fist, right? Mm -hmm. But in women, they're typically the same length, Hmm. which I I guess I hadn't even really realized before, and maybe that's why my drawings of women's hands have been terrible in the past. But, I mean, when I look at my hands right now, that's certainly true. Uh, I thought it means you're a werewolf, right? Oh, it could be that. It could be that. It might be tied to the wolf. Something about, like, the the different (laughs) thing. If your fingers are the same length, that's a myth. But, yeah, so that's something I didn't realize. And then, so this gets into the his evolutionary argument uh, split along gender lines, too, that... I guess uh, he wasn't considering Ronda Rousey when he was <laughs> thinking about fist formation. Yeah, well, that's certainly some of the criticism that has been leveled at him is that, um, that this is a very male-centric or even bro-centric view of human evolution. Yeah, and, and I think that maybe th- this is a good time for us to touch on <laughs> I wish Joe was here because uh, <laughs> he has a specific disdain for what is called bro science. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and in fact, when I was doing the research for this article, I ran into a couple of, quote, bro science articles. <laughs> uh, I guess the best way to explain this is kind of a pseudoscience repurposing uh, scientific principles to 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 just like uh, geek out about like guy stuff like sports and fighting and 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 uh lifting weights and things like that that's yeah. what i've seen mainly uh the the article that i decided that i didn't feel like the science was strong enough to include it in this episode was from a site called boxing science and it was all about the science of boxing and i thought oh well this might be uh, interesting and a good uh you know complement to carrier's research and it really didn't have a whole lot of a weight to it and wasn't wasn't very well connected, especially in regards to anatomy. Yeah. But there was a lot of talk about um, uh, martial science uh, in other research. And this was academically published. So I did think I should bring this up. There was apparently a study published in the Journal of Cerebral Cortex. And the suggestion there was that punches actually start with our brain structure. So, yeah, the fist might be important, as Carrier argues, but brains are also really important to this. So what they did was they did brain scans of active martial artists versus people with similar builds but with no martial arts training. Uh And they looked to see if there was a correlation between the karate punchers and they found that there was, that the people who were trained punchers actually had denser white matter in the supplementary motor cortex of their brains. And that that's a section that controls coordination between all of our different muscle groups, right? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> you pair this together, the idea is that multiple muscle groups working together, they are doing this thing that we refer to as, or science refers to as kinetic linking. You see this in combat, but you also see it in stuff like golf or baseball, right? Multiple muscles all working together so that we can accomplish these these great feats. Right. Um, but coordination and timing are also essential to all this as well, which is where the brain comes in. So the idea here is really that, yes, the fist may be important, and this research came out before 
uh, uh, Carrier's most recent piece on Fist. So I'd be curious what their, uh, what the, what the authors of that piece would say about Carrier's research. How fists are connected to brains and vice versa and the whole body working together. There was a lot of articles online that took this and then extrapolated out of it, uh, like there was a Nerdist piece and then I think that piece was linked to a popular mechanics piece mm-hmm. that was all about, uh, Bruce Lee's one inch punch and the like, physics behind that <clears throat> and i oh, wait what's the deal with a one inch punch is that it's just, just like a specific like okay. Br- bruce lee martial arts move does that mean like there's one inch between yeah. like it's just a very rapid short punch yeah okay. yeah 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 absolutely right um and if with you with a wah kind of a sound, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah exactly you have to do that there's good that's the study that's coming out in 2016 <laughs> is the, the wah contribution <laughs> now, i think it's worth worth knowing, but both of these studies that we've we've touched on here i, I feel like they are pretty solidly outside of any bro science area but it's it's, it's who picks it up and then runs with it and starts you know, rewriting the study and yeah. extrapolating it and uh and, and pushing a, a certain picture of of humanity yeah and even like uh the press release that went out about uh carrier's study that came out just a couple what was it two weeks ago mm-hmm. uh is stated specifically, here's our, uh, retorts to bro science claims before, before anybody even made them because they knew yeah. that there was going to be that. Yeah. I mean, of... yeah. David Carrier is an accomplished biologist. Yeah. And, uh, absolutely. You look at a picture of him. He looks like an accomplished biologist. Right. He does it. He's not like a guy in a CrossFit yeah. gym who's trying to use like a physics <laughs> book to justify, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. All right. So 2014, Carrier publishes, uh, a new study in biological reviews, and uh, he worked with this one uh, on this one with physician Michael H. Morgan. And they um, the the key argument here is that it goes beyond fists; that human faces also evolved to minimize injury from punches of the face during fights between males. Mm. Uh, that's where we tend to punch people, and I've often wondered this: uh, where do we? Where do we first get that idea about punching people in the face? Because even in like children's films, like I mentioned Jungle Book earlier, because when I let my son watch it for the first time, I was kind of appalled at all the fisticuffs. There's a lot of punching, bears Mm -hmm. punching tigers, humans punching bears, bears punching humans. Mm. I wonder if the new CGI version is going to have all all these uh, punching, especially because they're like, CGI actual animals yeah. rather than like a cartoon Baloo the Bear. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But, but yeah, so we just have this idea of, of punching ingrained in us early on. But, um. Yeah, I, and, but, but the face, I mean, I guess there must be a connection there because like, and we've talked about this on previous episodes that like we think of the face and the head as being the center of identity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, at least we do in modern culture. We've talked previously about how Egyptians did not actually. They thought that the heart was the center of the soul. Uh, but in our case, I, we have that as sort of like a cultural belief. And I wonder if that's where it stems from. It's like you got to hit them right, right, right where it's all going on. Well, I mean, and I guess it is very, yeah, it is a very strategic place to strike because yeah. you have some major sense organs there. And of course the nose is a key, um, key target with any kind of, yeah, uh, because it's, it can be broken easily to at least, uh, throw your opponent off. If not actually kill them. Right. A concussion will certainly end the fight. But the, um, thing, so again, like I, I didn't feel comfortable citing this research in the episode, but when I was reading these boxing sites and they were talking about, uh, that some of them actually were like, 
consulted on Carrier's research. And basically what it came down to was them saying, well, yeah, that sounds interesting, but like the best place to punch somebody is actually like in the groin. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like from their point of view, I think in like a martial arts or boxing contest or whatever, that's going to maximize your efforts, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the ref's (laughs) watching. So you can't, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have your manager distract the ref. Then you do the low blow. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then you roll up for the three count. Um, this particular study about about the faces is important because I mentioned the uh, the nose weakness, and that's a, a yeah. criticism here uh-huh. uh, that's often leveled. But this research is basically looking back again four to five million years at those uh, Australopith ancestors, mm-hmm. and here we find increased robustness in the particular facial bones that are most likely to suffer fracture uh, during a pummeling. And these are the, also the areas where we find the greatest differences between male and female facial structures, both both in the Australopiths and in humans. Because, mm. again, the structures may have evolved, according to Carrier, in response to male-on-male violence. And it's yeah. these Australopiths also, they had a stubbier nose. So they didn't have right. the clear target, punch me in the center of my face and send blood flying everywhere. Yeah, that's the bones. argument against Carrier, right, yeah. is that the Australopith face would actually be better suited for combat. Yeah, and the idea here too is that that post Australopith mm-hmm. we became we, we still love to punch each other in the face, clearly, but it becomes less of an evolutionary driving force. Yeah. Uh, I loved how the the methodology of this (laughs) research went about. So uh, these two guys looked at emergency room statistics from Western societies, and they found that all of the fights between, quote, untrained combatants. I wonder how they got that information from the emergency room files. (laughs) uh, Most frequently resulted in injuries to the face. Which, you know, like we were talking earlier, we usually go for the face, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the jaw, the cheekbones, the nose, and in particular the bones around our eyes are the areas that they're looking at here. These are the areas that they're saying, why didn't our bones evolve to be sturdier at these stress points? Like early humans. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So this uh, study in particular has one major critic. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of anthropologists out there, but the, the one that I found that was cited the most was a guy named Owen Lovejoy, who, uh, at the time worked at a Kent State University. He is a, he's a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> yeah. That's the name implies. <clears throat> exactly. So he says, uh, the hypothesis behind Carrier's research is what he calls adaptationism. And he says, essentially what he's doing here is assigning evolutionary purpose to a particular trait when no such relationship actually exists. So, okay, we've got a little bit of an academic fight here. We see this all the time. People trying to, you know, stand their ground, make their mark, plant their flag. Lovejoy says that the shape of our faces are what he, uh, I guess this is a, a term that's used in, in this kind of uh, biological evolution study, a spandrel. And that means that they evolved as a byproduct of other traits. So, for example, brain size uh, or the muscles and bones that are in our jaws that are needed for chewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are why our faces are shaped the way that they are, not the punching thing. Yeah, this is the, the one of the problems you get into when you start pulling apart these definite, different evolutionary theories is there are just so many factors that are involved. Mm-hmm. The face punching, sure, but yeah, also the ability to, to crunch and grind up uh, your food, uh, the, the right. swelling size of the human brain, etc. He also uh, says, uh, this goes back to our like earlier sort of scene that we were setting where like the human female would, the early human female would mm-hmm. choose her mates. He said the early 
early human females actually did not prize aggression in their mates. Uh, they, and subsequently they chose, uh, partners that had smaller canine teeth. So that was a thing because, you know, I think that th- these, uh, early human ancestors were biting as well as mm-hmm. slapping and punching. Well, that's clearly an ingrained, uh, <laughs> right. instinct in right. humans. Right. Uh, and so subsequently the smaller canines led to males that cooperated with one another more. And this led to the success of the human species or one of the things that led to the success. So he's arguing, uh, completely against the whole fist face thing. Okay. Now I always think to cuttlefish when, uh, when mm. discussions like this come up and great, and I'm, I'm not making a direct comparison between cuttlefish and humans because obviously they're very alien creatures compared to one another. Right. They're totally different environments, but when the cuttlefish Fish, you see the survival of both the robust fighter male and the sneaky smaller male who even pretends to be a female in order to, oh, uh, yeah, to, right. to, to mate. And uh, that always reminds me that you know when you're looking at a complex mating relationship with, with a creature, there there is the potential for more than one model that's effective. Yeah, I mean, I think that this gets back to what we were you know talking about from the very beginning of Carrier's research here. That I think that. It's more than just one thing, right? right. It's, it, you can't just say like, oh, we just evolved because of fists or we just evolved because of uh, manual dexterity. There's so many factors that are going on there, right? And yeah, it works really well to get published in an academic journal if you have some uh, kind of amazing insight with research to back it up. Uh, that says, well, hey, look at this one thing that we haven't thought about yet. But that doesn't mean that it's exclusive, right? Yeah. Now, of course, Carrier, again, is devoted to this research. Oh, yeah. And the latest study is pretty, pretty incredible. Whether you agree with him or not, this is just. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is why we wanted to do this episode. (laughs) This is crazy. Yeah, I've been blogging about his work for, for years, but this is the one where this came around. We we shared this on our Facebook site, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the actual study, I want to say like the week it came out. And then immediately after you, you were like, oh, we've got to do a video on this. Yeah. So in this latest study, this is a 2015 published in Journal of Experimental Biology, he attempts to level some more purely experimental data at the theory. A theory, you know, again, continues to generate some controversy and, and needs some proving out. So what do you do? Well, Carrier and his team collected uh, cadaver arms from uh, nine different individuals. They ended up being able to actually use eight. So they have a bunch of dead human arms. Okay. Okay. So... So I'm already like, this is, uh, you had me at hello. Like, <laughs> like, so <laughs> I actually went and tried to access the article itself, not the press releases surrounding mm-hmm. it. And unfortunately, it's behind a paid firewall. So I was not able to read the article itself. So if you are David Carrier or you know David Carrier or you helped on this research, what I want to know is where do you get eight cadaver arms? Like, where do you just go and say, I need eight human arms, and they go, well, why? And I'm... Well, there's actually a, an interesting chapter in Mary Roach's um, Stiff uh, that de- deals with some oh, of this, yeah. uh, just not only for medical purposes, but even... Like like purely medical purpose purposes or research purposes, but also for just like cosmetic uh, uh, surgery training. Sure, yeah. I mean, obviously, like people donate their bodies to science and mm-hmm. such. But how, what I'm fascinated with is that process. I mean, this is a great art, uh, <laughs> article. Mm-hmm. The research is interesting, but like wh- you start off and you say, "All right, I, to pull this off, I need eight human arms, and I need them severed from their bodies." 
you, there's got to be a place you go and fill out that paperwork. I want to know where that is, <laughs> what the paperwork looks like. This is we've we've got to find out and do it. Well, it does raise the question: Do they get them all at once? Do they have to wait for them to right. accumulate? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Are these specific? Uh, like, like I wonder if if he was looking for specific body types too, right? Like we know that they're they're male arms, but like. Was one a lifter and the other one was like more built like me and scrawny, you know? Well, we have his email address. We can, we can just we, shoot, uh, carrier and we, email and find out. I want to find out, yeah. Um, so he got the arms. Eight, eight to nine arms, right? Uh, but that's, that's not quite enough. You can't just start flinging these around like they're dead fish in a slapstick battle, right? Yeah. So what you have to do is dissect them to expose the muscles, essentially flaying these arms and then attaching fishing line to all the tendons so that you're essentially making a corpse arm puppet. So you can, you can make that mm-hmm. open hand slap. Mm-hmm. You can pull another, some more strings and make a, a very like rough, unbuttressed fist, which is kind of like right. imagine the weakest punch possible yeah. and that's what you have and then the buttress fist the the sweet spot that we've been discussing the the core uh, here to uh, to carrier's research does all of that and then you still need a way to drive that puppy home so enter the pendulum this pendulum device they load the arms into this pendulum like apparatus and there's a wonderful schematic for this uh in the paper, maybe we'll end up using that as the as the art for this episode. Yeah. Uh, at the very least, I'll link out to it uh, so you can see it. Uh, they have we don't have a picture of it, but mm-hmm. we do have some wonderful drawings uh, of what it would look like. And you use this pendulum to then launch that uh, zombie arm straight into a padded force detecting dumbbell. <laughs> yeah, that's the best part too. <laughs> that it's a dumbbell. It's like, like I get it because they wanted to de- detect the force. They had to use the technology and everything, but it's just. Like these poor arms are just, and and the other thing too. Like again, you know, if if you do this kind of research, please let us know. But how do you keep a, a cadaver arm from rotting? Because I, uh, reading the research, it said that it took a week of study for each arm. So how do you keep? This arm that you've just flayed and you have hooked up to this pendulum thing from stinking the joint up and falling apart. Well, uh, I mean, they had problems with one of the arms. Uh, the oh, yeah, that's right. Work. Because I didn't it, it was have, too, like, uh, arthritis? Yeah, yeah, I believe it was too... Uh, yeah. They, they weren't able to actually manipulate it uh, mm. properly. Uh, and one other thing that I would add, too, is that... Uh, so, from the other research that mentioned, uh, in particular, that punching has a lot to do not just with our fists, but also with our brains, and that it's a full-body action, right? That right. you need the whole body to be able to throw the force and to you know execute the, the move precisely. Right, so it's not a perfect yeah. um, the, the, recreation the, of exactly. a Exactly. Like, uh, I, I see where he was going with this, mm-hmm. but it, I can imagine that their results would be lower than they would be if you... Which, you know, you would never get the approval to do this from a university, but if you had people just punching dumbbells. Right, because he was specifically interested here in like, how much protection uh, is is the fist versus the slap or the unbuttressed fist. How much uh, protection is there for the metacarpal bones and the underlying tissue? Mm-hmm. And he, they, they found, him and his team did find that a clenched, fully buttressed fist did provide significant protection for the metacarpal bones. So his findings suggest that that fully buttressed fist can safely strike with 55% more force than an unbuttressed fist and 200% more force than an open-handed slap. So, mm-hmm. and again, that's safely without damaging things. That's how much more punching, how much more impact power you have with the, with the buttressed fist. Yeah. And again, methodologically, the way that they did this was 
Each arm, like I said, took a week. They they tested the buttressed fist, then the unbuttressed fist, mm-hmm. then the open palm slap. <laughs> so that's where they got these figures from. Right. So remember, the next time that you get into a fight, listeners, remember the buttressed fist because it's going to you know help you out. Yeah. Yeah, if 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 you have a split second to think, should yeah. I should I should I curl it up into the fist or should I slap exactly. the fist? Yeah, and not only will it do fifty five percent more damage, but it will also protect your fingers so that you can type at your keyboard the next day. Yeah, and keep that stat, uh, you role players out there. If you're in a scenario <laughs> exactly. where you get to use that, throw that info at your DM because DMs love it when uh, players bring a uh, real life science yeah, to, to say, hey, I should actually get a little boost on this attack, and here's the science to prove it. So as we're thinking about all this, I, I do want to throw out uh, a, a great quote from Carrier in the, the most recent uh, 2015 study that, that that gets to some of the more underlying kind of philosophical aspects of this research. He says, our research is about peace. We seek mm-hmm. to explore, understand, and confront uh, humankind's violent and aggressive tendencies. Peace begins with ourselves and is ultimately achieved through disciplined self-analysis and an understanding of where we've come from as a species. Though our re- through our research, we hope to look ourselves in the mirror and begin the difficult work of changing ourselves for the better. As an alternative, we suggest that the hand proportions that allow the formation of a fist may tell us something important about our evolutionary history and who we are as a species. If our anatomy is adapted for fighting, we need to be aware we always may be haunted by basic emotions and reflective behaviors that often don't make sense and are very dangerous in the modern world. So this is essentially like what we were talking about at the beginning. I I think that this is, the no pun intended, the meat of his research is that he's looking for evidence to show why human behavior now is sort of haunted by the past. Yeah. So we end up in this situation, yeah, where uh, an individual who is not trained in martial arts will curl up a a fist and throw a punch. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm. To what extent is that? Watching Jungle Book as a kid, to what extent is that something that's just ingrained in us that yeah, we're that, made to do? That's the part I was wondering about is the ingrained thing, because I've been around a lot of uh, babies lately. A lot of my friends have had kids. And they've been you, punching you? That, well, that's the thing that they kind of instinctively <laughs> do is, like, they, they don't even... Uh, consciously do it, but they form a fist and then just kind of wail that arm out there (laughs) and you occasionally get clocked in the face. Uh, And I don't know if that's just a, you know, inherent genetic thing that they're just getting used to their dexterity that way or or what? I, you know, I, I have to admit, even though I've never taken a punch to the face from an adult, uh-huh. I have taken a number of really jaw-shattering, <laughs> well, not jaw-shattering, but certainly jaw-rocking impacts from, say, a, uh, a toddler's head. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, uh, they throw a lot of force around, and they do so uh, indiscriminately. Like hundreds of years from now, hundreds, thousands, millions of years from now, podcasters are going to be looking back at how our faces evolved <laughs> to deal with these toddlers that are beating the hell out of us. Yeah, all these uh, head, like headbutt uppercuts, and then I don't know how many times I've been poked in the eye at this point. <laughs> it's crazy. Half of them by my wife. Uh, <laughs> from living in the same house with her, like it'll yeah. like fumbling around in the morning, and then I end up taking up finger in the eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even when we're not fighting each other, uh, as, as, as humans, we we can't help but uh, damage each other's faces. No, exactly. Yeah, it's it's our curse and our gift. All right, so there you have it. A uh, little look into the work of David Carrier and this uh, 
uh, fist punch theory of evolution. Uh, be sure to check out the landing page for this episode because we'll have links out to related content, some blog content I've done in the past, that now video, as well as uh, where you can find the actual studies. Yeah, and of course, you're going to be able to find this episode, if you're listening to it already, you've probably downloaded it from our RSS feed, but go to stufftoblowyourmind.com, you'll find that we have all kinds of related links, but also there's blog posts there, videos there, including our Monster Science series, which is just wrapping up its third season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, of course, follow us on social media because we not only post out all the stuff that we're working on, but we also curate a lot of really cool and weird science that's getting published around the web. Let so, us help you survive the holidays. Yes, that's what it's all about. Right exactly. Now. So we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Tumblr, all those sites were below the mind. And don't forget that we're periscoping every Friday at noon, again, from the Twitter handle, below the mind. And hey, you want to send us some old-fashioned email you have a you have some martial arts experience you want to throw down if you want to share some uh, some first-hand accounts of punch force and kinetic strikes and all mm-hmm. this do so let us know at blow the mind at howstuffworks.com for more on this and thousands of other topics visit howstuffworks.com 